Turn with me again to John chapter 14. This service I will be drawing out some applications from uh, the verses that we saw this morning. So let me read again to you John chapter 14 verses 16 and 17. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he might abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Let's pray again and ask for God's help as we seek to open up his word. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord, we come to you again this morning or this afternoon, and we would ask again for your help and your strength and your enablement as we look into your word, seek to draw out further applications of it. We pray that you will bless us to our hearts, that your spirit might be among us and will be using these things in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we saw many of the truths and applications that can be drawn from verses 16 and 17. And this afternoon I want to focus in on applications that we can make in regards to the work of the Spirit in us. I want to note and give two words of caution and what the Spirit's work is not, and then look at a few points of what the Spirit's genuine work is. So first, as far as the cautions, throughout the ages, there have been many who have taught various things that are inaccurate or incorrect in regards to the work of the Spirit. Some has been outright heresy. Others have seriously distorted or put uh, inaccurate emphasis on certain aspects of the work of the Spirit. Of the various errors that have been taught, I believe that most, or at least some of us, have some degree of familiarity with the charismatic movement and what they teach, uh, it is probably one of the more prominent current examples of inaccurate teaching on what the work of the Spirit looks like. I personally have never been in a charismatic church. I have heard various accounts. I ran into the following account from one man who had grown up Uh, in a Southern Baptist church and visited Charismatic Church. He said, I witnessed seemingly uncontrollable laughter, holy ghost laughter, they called it, fainting spells, intense weeping and wailing, prophecies ranging from predictions of deliverance from headaches and cancer to forecasts of God's wrath on select American cities. I watched a man and a woman run laps around the sanctuary. In a corner, a younger man bounced up and down, convulsing. 
In a pew behind me, a woman was engaged in what appeared to be jumping jacks, arms windmilling vigorously as she praised the Lord. All of this being attributed to the work of the Spirit. It is not my intent to get into a detailed analysis of the continuation of of the works of the Spirit or conversation on the cessationist view of the works of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, healing, that sort of thing. But in the context of our passage, it is helpful to note that Jesus is speaking to the disciples to to provide them words of comfort, and he says he would send another paraclete, as we noted this morning. We noted that the paraclete that Jesus promised would be like him. And we do not, I would note that we do not see anywhere in the ministry of Jesus anything that comes close to inciting this sort of frenzied nonsense that is attributed to the Spirit in some churches. I will touch on what we should expect in a moment, but it is important to note this is not what Jesus had in mind when he promised the Spirit to his disciples. A promise of the Spirit indwelling them to stir them up to a frenzied emotional state would not have been a promise that would have derived comfort and assurance. The promise of one that would minister to their needs as Christ had would provide comfort. Second word of caution I want to note, and it is a caution is, and it is separate from the error of charismatics. I would not say it's in the same realm, but I think it is important that we be careful in a certain area. There are some that will say, I feel God is leading me to such and such. And there are times where this may be 100% valid, that God, through the work of the Spirit, the fuller understanding of his word, wise, biblically sound counsel, has caused a person to come to a certain conclusion on a direction they should take in a particular matter. Sometimes, though, I feel as if this statement can be made carelessly without Uh, because a series of events seems to point a person almost coincidentally in a certain direction, and it may be accepted without consideration of what biblical principles may apply or without seeking counsel and direction. Proverbs 11.14 says, Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So again, I'm saying that we need to be careful with our wording 
and make sure that what we are attributing to God and the work of the Spirit is genuinely what the Bible teaches us we can expect from the work of the Spirit. So having provided those two notes, I want to uh, draw out some applications for what we should expect the work of the Spirit to be. And these observations come largely, uh, uh, the specific notes will come directly from work of Jonathan Edwards titled The Distinguishing Marks of a Work of the Spirit of God. The first note Edwards makes is that a work of the Spirit is to, quote, raise the esteem of that Jesus who was born of the Virgin and was crucified without the gates of Jerusalem and seems more to confirm and establish the truth of what the gospel declares to us of his being the Son of God and the Savior of men. Edwards here is making the point that the work of the Spirit includes the increase of our regard and understanding and love for Jesus and his work of salvation on our behalf. This is a wonderful thing. This is something that we should seek and desire. We who have experienced the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ, shouldn't we have a desire for that love and knowledge and understanding to only increase and increase? We have only seen truly a small glimpse Of the greatness of his love. Now sometimes the fuller understanding of Christ's love may have an unpleasant element. As it may take the form of being confronted with and repenting of remaining sin. But the assurance of our salvation. The assurance that even that sin was one for which my Savior died, will only cause our love for him to grow. We ought to make this a matter of frequent prayer, that the Spirit will work in this way in us, that through him we might see and know more of our Savior. Along with prayer, we need to be engaging in those practices that will lend to such a work of the Spirit reading the word, faithful attendance and careful attention to worshiping God on the Lord's day. If we starve ourselves of those means that the Spirit most commonly uses to work in our hearts, we cannot expect that he will just zap us with knowledge and understanding. Edwards Secondly, notes that the true work of the Spirit, quote, operates 
against the interests of Satan's kingdom, which lies in encouraging and establishing sin and cherishing men's worldly lusts. Edwards here is highlighting that the work of the Spirit in men's hearts is a work that continues that work that first occurred at the time of salvation, a work of turning us from sin and our love for it toward righteousness and a love for righteousness, our love to do the will of God. Additionally, when one is faced with temptations to sin, the Spirit may call to remembrance what the law says, the law forbids such sin, may call attention to the fact that the enticement of sin is really a lie and that there is no true joy or happiness to be found from it, or may present the work of our Savior as that which we have a much greater affection for than the sin we are tempted with. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I must confess that at least I all too often go through a day thoughtlessly or worse yet confident in my own ability to resist sin. How often do we neglect the promise that Jesus has made to we who are his that he will send another paraclete. That we desperately need such a one. We need him more than we know. If we fully, accurately understood how great a sinner we truly are, how totally depraved we are, if we fully understood the true horror and vileness of our sin, we would have a much greater appreciation for our need of the Spirit and greater appreciation for the wondrous work of our Savior. The third work of the Spirit that Edwards notes is that it will cause in men a greater regard to the Holy Scriptures and establishes them more in their, that is the Holy Scriptures, truth and divinity. This is likely one of the works of the Spirit most of us think of and are mindful of. What a blessing it is. Think about the alternative. For hundreds of years, the Roman Catholic Church taught that man could not understand the scriptures on his own and that he needed a priest or another church leader to explain the scriptures to him. The church was right that we do need aid in reading and understanding the scriptures. But that need is fulfilled by the Spirit so that any man can pick up the Bible. Even the most unchurched 
person. And by the aid of the Spirit, read and learn and understand the truth contained in the Word of God. I would also add that this does not set aside the great profit that can be found in reading books written by those who have gone before us on various topics throughout the Bible or commentaries on the scriptures. Those who have gone before us by the aid of the Spirit have helped draw out applications for us. It is also through the aid of the Spirit that we, on the weekly Sabbath, come to a fuller understanding and love for the Scriptures. As we hear it preached, and as the Spirit applies it to our hearts, when we gather to worship God, isn't it a regular item of prayer before the preaching that God will send his spirit, apply it to us? I also was struck in thinking about this, the wonder that God can take the exact same message being preached and apply it in so many different ways for so many different people knowing what each one of his people needs the most and using it in those ways. One may take great encouragement and comfort from a particular message, while another hears the same message and is confronted with and convicted of remaining sin in that area. Let us make it a habit to earnestly pray that God will send his spirit to open our eyes and to increase our regard for the word. When we pick it up in our daily devotions or when we gather for corporate worship, God has promised us this blessing. We should pray diligently that he will do this work. The final note that Edwards makes that I want to reference here by way of application is that one other work of the Spirit is to stir up love toward God and toward man. This is perfectly in line with what we have already seen Jesus say to the disciples in this chapter, the previous works of the Spirit that Edwards noted. The love that the Spirit works in man is not a love that is manifest primarily in some hyper-emotional frenzy. Rather, it is a stirring of the affections because of the truth that has been revealed to us. It is love born out of knowledge. As we think of the work of our Savior on our behalf, living and dying to redeem us, the magnitude of that work, the wonder that the Son of God 
died to save sinners. We can think on it and read on it. Never comprehend the greatness of it. That an eternal God would pay the eternal debt we owe is a wonder of wonders. However, the more of this wonder we comprehend, the more that our love for our God will grow. As we learn more of the scriptures, as the Spirit reveals more truth, the greater our love for God will be. As we read of his wondrous work of creation and see his might and power displayed in it, as we read of the flood and his judgment and his great mercy displayed and his just judgment exercised, as we see his as we see his work in the people of Israel how he provided for them and corrected them as we see the attributes of God revealed throughout the word as we see more of our sin learn more of the will of God. All these things will work to increase our love for God. Many of these same things will work to increase our love for our neighbor. As we consider the love of our Savior toward us and combine it with the command to love one another as Christ has loved us, as we think on the sins that we have been forgiven of, the sins and wrongs others do to us, should be small and trivial matters. In these ways, as well as others, the Spirit works our love, it works to increase our love for God and our love for man. Let me just highlight the importance of this, especially in regards to our love for our brethren, our love for those in the church. Jesus said that love for one another would be the distinguishing mark of his disciples. Sadly, in recent years, we have seen a lack of love and peace in many churches and amongst brethren over things that should be small. This truth that we have looked at today, this work of the Spirit to work love in our hearts towards one another, ought to take on a greater importance that we will keep God's commandments. And Jesus exhorted the disciples, as Jesus exhorted the disciples in verse 15, as well as engaging in those things that promote fertile ground for the Spirit to do His work.
Now, lastly, I want to note again to any who have not yet believed that there ought to be application of the things that we have seen today to you. You ought to diligently seek that God will send his spirit. As we noted this morning, that the spirit will open your eyes to the truth, the truth contained in God's word, that you are a sinner in need of a savior, that Jesus Christ is the only hope of salvation, that salvation comes through faith in him alone. There are many applications that we could note. But I trust that as we have considered verses 16 and 17 of John 14, we have seen how great and wonderful the promise Jesus gave to the disciples and to us is. The promise of another paraclete, the spirit of truth, was a promise of provision exactly in line with what the disciples needed and is exactly what we need. The spirit of truth. In a day when so many disregard truth, in a day where people question whether there is truth, in a day where people are the truth to themselves and whatever they think is their truth. We need the spirit of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so he promises another like him, who is the spirit of truth, who opens our eyes to the truth contained in the word of God. So when we compare what we have laid out in these applications of genuine work of the Spirit, what we have seen today in the exposition of these verses, we compare it to what some promote as the main focus of the work of the Spirit, such as the charismatics and what we noted earlier, I would suggest that the works of the Spirit, increasing our love for man and God, increasing our understanding of the Scriptures, increasing our understanding and our knowledge of the work of our Savior, is much more vital and is a much greater source of comfort and a much greater blessing to us than frenzied emotion. Let us not shy away from praying for the Spirit to do great works because of the false teaching of others. Let us rather treasure the promise that Jesus has given us, that he will send his Spirit to us. Let us constantly be praying that we will see the Spirit do such works in our hearts, 
do such works in the church and do such works throughout the world that we will see Christ's church grow, that we will see the kingdom of Satan defeated, that we will be able to rejoice over the salvation of many sinners. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, our God, we have not known Thee as we ought. We have not loved Thee as we ought. We have not served Thee as we ought. Our God, we fall so far short of the standard that Your Word sets forth us. We fall so far short of our poor understanding of the standard that your word sets forth to us. Our God, we would pray that you, in your mercy, will continue that work which you have begun in us, that you will expand our knowledge of you. That through your scriptures, we will see and come to understand your will more rightly. That we will come to see and know the love of our Savior more rightly. That we will love you more as we ought. That we will serve you. We will trust in you. For God, our, our faith is so weak, we all too often lose sight of truth so quickly. Our God, we would pray that you might keep us close to the cross of Christ. You might keep before us how poor and weak we are, and how desperately we need you in all things. Our God, we pray that you'll keep what we've seen today before us as we go into the week ahead, that we might put our faith firmly in you, that we might treasure and value your word and put a priority on it, God, we pray that you will bless the remainder of this day to us, that you will bless the fellowship that we have. We thank you for it. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.